some of the most remarkable and inspiring people that you and I have met could be described as the believe in spite of people. Have you ever met someone like that? Someone who's going through difficult circumstances, maybe financially with their health or family. They're just going through really difficult stuff and yet their confidence in God seems almost unshakable. They still have joy and peace, which sort of defies logic. You might wonder if they're in denial, but they're really not in denial. They just trust God, which can be inspiring and a little disturbing at the same time. Maybe you're watching and you, you are just curious or wondering about faith. And you might not say it this way, but you sort of wonder about people that have believe in spite of kind of faith. Or maybe you would say, there might not be anything to their faith, but I would rather have their life because they have peace. I don't have any peace. They have confidence while the future and death scare me to death. They're fine even in those difficult circumstances, and I want to know that I would be fine if I was facing circumstances like that. When we meet people going through difficult times, we all sort of internalize it. We wonder, how would I respond if I was going through that situation? And many of you have maybe heard of Dr. Francis Collins, if not before the pandemic, uh, probably since the pandemic. Dr. Francis Collins is the head of the National Institutes of Health, and technically Dr. Fauci's boss. Dr. Collins was also the leader of the Human Genome Project, and I'm sure all of you know this, but the genome is an organism's complete set of DNA. Dr. Collins was given the responsibility to lead the project to complete a high-quality version of the human genome. Completing this was a remarkable and complex accomplishment that provided so much information for doctors and researchers to help with diseases and so much more. Dr. Collins, though, talks about meeting one of these believe-in-spite-of-people while he was in med school doing his rounds in North Carolina. He was just 27 years old, working at this hospital, but he kept bumping into Christians, and some of them were dying of terminal diseases. He would talk to these people, and many of them would mention their faith. Sort of that whole thing about, I'm going to heaven, or I'm going to be reunited with loved ones. And these encounters with Christians bothered him because he grew up in a home where his parents were basically agnostic. In Dr. Collins' book, The Language of God, he says this, If faith was a psychological crutch, it must be a very powerful one. If it was nothing more than a veneer of cultural tradition, why were these people not shaking their fists at God and demanding their friends and family stop all this talk about a loving and benevolent supernatural power? That these people are dying and God doesn't seem to be answering their prayer or their God isn't trustworthy. This was unnerving to Dr. Collins. And then one afternoon he walks into the room of a woman probably dying of heart disease. And they had conversations before where she would mention her faith, but on this day they were chatting back and forth and he asked questions. And the patient turns to Dr. Collins though and said, Doctor, I've told you what I believe, but what do you believe? This question would end up changing Dr. Collins's life. And he turned red and sort of stammered into saying something like, I'm not really sure. That moment haunted him for several days. And then Dr. Collins found himself in a situation that maybe you can relate to. He said this, I found myself with a combination of willful blindness. That is that whole thing about, I, I've not seen it, but I'm not really looking or wanting to see it either. I don't know about that, but I haven't asked that question. There might be something more, but I haven't explored that. He says, I found myself with a combination of willful blindness and something that could really only properly be, properly be described as arrogance. And so he started on a journey to investigate what could be seen and what, to, what could be discovered about Jesus. And in that journey, Dr. Collins found there was something to the claims of Jesus. In fact, 
he became a Jesus follower and continues to be a Jesus follower to this day, 40 plus years later. There was more evidence than he thought there was, but he never knew there was evidence until he looked. That Jesus predicted this, and John sort of helped in some ways. Jesus would say, I'm going to give you enough evidence to believe. And John would say, I want people to know what I've seen, heard, and experienced so they can believe too. That Christianity is not about just believing or taking it by faith. That Matthew, John, Peter, and the rest followed Jesus not because of faith, but because of what they saw and what they heard. And John would describe it this way in 1 John 1. He says, We proclaim to you the one who existed from the beginning, whom we have seen and heard, or who we have heard and seen. We saw him with our own eyes and touched him with our own hands. He is the word of life. This one who is life itself was revealed to us, and we have seen him. And now we testify and proclaim to you that he is the one who is eternal life. And so John wrote or probably dictated what he saw uh, Jesus do and what Jesus said in the Gospel of John. But John was not content just to tell us what happened with Jesus. John wanted something to happen to you and to me, the same thing that happened to him based on his interaction with the Son of God. John chapter 20 says this, uh, But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. That when John talks about life, or in some translations, eternal life, he isn't just talking about heaven. He means living this life, knowing that there is something beyond this life. Because John knows, like many of you know, that when you live this life with the assumption that there is something beyond this life, you live this life a different way. In John's account of Jesus' life, John sort of lays out the sequence of, of events, or seven signs, miracles, that pointed him to the identity of Jesus, and to eventually believe and follow Jesus. Last week we looked at the first of those signs when Jesus goes to a wedding and his mom tells him to fix a huge problem at that wedding. Jesus saves the wedding and then Jesus goes to Jerusalem. But every time he goes to Jerusalem, he's really in danger, including his followers. In this trip to Jerusalem, it's sort of that famous situation when Jesus goes into the temple and he sort of angrily drives out the people charging too much interest and selling bad quality offerings. Uh, the leaders of the temple asked Jesus a really important question. Not, what are you doing? A better question. Who do you think you are? And so eventually Jesus leaves Jerusalem and heads back north towards Galilee. And on the way, Jesus meets the Samaritan woman at the well. And we said in week one, Jesus is also a bridge to people. That Jesus' followers should break down barriers and set aside our preferences to meet people where they are in the natural rhythms of their lives. And this woman believed that Jesus what Jesus said about offering her living water. And so she goes and tells her village about this man. And there's a bit of foreshadowing. These people in the Samaritan woman's town believe in Jesus based on the testimony of the Samaritan woman. Because that's what the future looks like. People believing in Jesus based on the testimony of other people. Jesus continues heading to Galilee, uh, which is where we pick up our story about another sign of Jesus. We're going to be in John chapter 4. If you want to follow along in the Bible app, if you don't have the Bible app, you can head to Bible.com app. You can see the notes and verses by clicking the More menu option in the bottom right corner, then Events, and you can find our church. We'll also have the notes and verses on the screen as well. We're going to be in John chapter 4, beginning in verse 46. As he traveled through Galilee, he came to Cana, where he had turned the water into wine. There was a government official in nearby Capernaum whose son was very sick. The sign we talked about last week in Cana that we referenced was a joyful situation. But this sign that we're going to talk about today is a heartbreaking situation. And Jesus enters both situations. He involved, he's involved in someone's celebration 
and someone's sickness. Uh, two important details. Number one, the government official's son is in Capernaum, which is about an eight-hour walk from Cana, where Jesus is. Maybe with a horse or chariots, two to three hours. Second point, government official means he was possibly a Jewish aristocrat, a wealthy guy who probably didn't walk, but took a ride. But on this day, this man is just sort of a desperate father. And isn't it interesting that all of our status, all of our intellect, all of our pride, and all of our uncertainty often sort of gets pushed to the side when someone we love is suffering. And most importantly, on this day, this man is a father who is concerned about his little boy who is about to die. Verse 47, when he heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went and begged Jesus to come to Capernaum to heal his son who was about to die. And there are a few possibilities for why this government official wants Jesus to come to Capernaum. Maybe he has heard the stories about Jesus and wants Jesus to come heal his son. Or maybe his wife has heard the stories and told her husband to go get Jesus and bring him to heal their son. Either way, this man makes the extremely difficult choice to go to Jesus even though his son may die while he is gone. And this official doesn't send a servant to get Jesus. He goes himself. Again, even though at this point he's probably only heard stories about Jesus. From the verb tense in this verse, it seems the government official sort of pleads and begs over and over and over again for Jesus to come home with him. Basically, what will it take for me to get you to come heal my son in my house? Some of you have been there, right? Some of your first prayers were prayers of desperation. Maybe something like, if anyone is out there, I need help. And then Jesus says something that maybe seems a little bit insensitive to us, but he's not just responding to the official, he's responding to the crowd who is listening to this. Because by this time, Jesus probably has a, a closer group following him as pretty much everywhere, as well as a larger group who follows him almost everywhere he goes. Verse 48, Jesus asked, Will you never believe in me unless you see miraculous signs and wonders? Now this might sound like an indictment against the people, but it's more of a statement that Jesus is making. Why should they take him seriously? Because he's making some pretty outrageous claims which really only get worse over time. That Jesus is making a statement that it's hard to believe in him unless he does something that convinces them. And so Jesus connects seeing to believing, evidence with believing. And Jesus decides to give them something to talk about, something that is so wonderful that we're talking about it 2,000 years later. Verse 49, the official pleaded, Lord, please come now before my little boy dies. And in this society, this official was possibly considered over or above Jesus. But at this point, he's acknowledging that Jesus is above him by calling him Lord and that he is under Jesus' authority. And the official is pleading. And he also seems to be confident. Like, if I can just get this rabbi to my house, my son will be fine. He's got this confidence. Why was this government official so confident? Why did he make this trip? Why would he risk leaving his son while his son is dying? It seems that this government official is really only thinking about two options. The first option being that Jesus comes with me and my son is healed. The second, Jesus doesn't come and my son will die. But Jesus provides a third option when the government official only really sees two options. And many times Jesus provides a third option when we only see two options. In what ways can you relate to the government official's situation in seeking God's help? The government official pleads with Jesus to come to his house to heal his little boy before he dies. And then Jesus asks this government official to do what Jesus has been asking people to do ever since. Jesus asked the government official to trust him based on the testimony of other people. Jesus asked this government official to entrust his son to Jesus based on the stories told to him about Jesus. Verse 50, 
Then Jesus told him, go back home. Your son will live. The Jesus says, I'm not coming and your son will be or is healed. Dad's husbands, can you imagine this? Like, wait a second, Jesus. If I go home without you, there may be two people dead. There are so many ways this official could have responded. He could have been disappointed and sad. He could have been forceful and just sort of took Jesus using his bodyguards. He could have been doubtful. Was Jesus really anyone special? And this tension and this story is where we all live. This is where Jesus is sort of painting a picture and giving us a path that many of us are walking today, 2,000 years later. Many of you are walking or will walk or are walking that path right now. We are regularly asked to take Jesus seriously based on the word of other people. We are asked to entrust our lives to Jesus, our health to Jesus, our, our futures to Jesus, our finances, our sick and our healthy children to Jesus based on the words of people who knew Jesus and saw him. Maybe we have seen people live this way or we are living this way, carrying unanswered prayer, burdens that don't, won't go away, sicknesses that won't be healed, financial situations that won't turn around, spouses who don't come home, children who won't come home, parents who act like children. And yet seeing people live by faith in spite of those difficult circumstances can be intimidating and also inspiring. Seeing people live like that is why people like Francis Collins come to faith in Jesus. So do you know what this means for the rest of us though? Like those of you who continue to follow Jesus while having that nagging unanswered prayer, that thing that God hasn't done yet, but you continue to serve, give, and love, and be faithful. Do you know who is watching you? <laughs> Let me answer that. No, you don't. Do you know what God is doing in the people, uh, the lives of the people around you because of your faithfulness? Again, let me answer that. No, you don't. Do you know who is a day, a year, five years away from placing their faith in Jesus because of you? The answer is no, you don't. That we have no idea how walking by faith could impact the faith of those around us. And we also don't know for sure from John's account because the way he records it, it seems that it's just happening so quickly. But the government official is probably stunned by Jesus' response. Because that official is probably still initially thinking, like, Jesus, you're either coming with me to heal my son, or you aren't coming and my son will die. And yet Jesus says this, verse 50, Then Jesus told him, Go back home. Your son will live. And the man believed what Jesus said. That this government official makes a decision that people have been making for 2,000 years. And this isn't an exaggeration. This decision changes the trajectory of his son's life and perhaps could change the trajectory of your life as well. That he decided to trust Jesus, living as if what Jesus said was true, even when there's no evidence just yet. Then Jesus told him, go back home, your son will live. And the man believed what Jesus said and started home. That he behaved as if what Jesus said could be trusted by heading home without Jesus coming with him. But the man had Jesus' promise that his son will live. And in many ways, the government official actually walked away from the only person who could heal his son. But he did that because he decided to trust Jesus. He walked home by faith, not by sight. While the man was on his way home, some of his servants met with him, met him with the news that his son was alive and well. He asked them when the boy had begun to feel better, and they replied, yesterday afternoon, uh, like about one o'clock, his fever suddenly just disappeared. Then the father realized that that was the very time Jesus had told him, your son will live. That this government official and father shows up back at home without Jesus, and yet his son is better. He, he tells his wife and his family about the interaction that he had with Jesus, 
and he and his entire household believed in Jesus. This was the second miraculous sign Jesus did in Galilee after coming from Judea. That the government official believed in Jesus based on the testimony of other people, and then he experienced that the testimony was true. That the rumors of the Son of God, a Messiah, a Savior, were actually true. And then he told his family, and they believed too. That Jesus is many things, but Jesus is also trustworthy. He is a trustworthy Savior and person. So a question for you. Are you walking by faith, or are you walking by sight, or maybe even walking by willful blindness, as Dr. Collins says? Walking by faith is not getting all your prayers answered. Walking by faith is not getting everything that you ask or you want. Walking by faith, as we see demonstrated by this government official, is living as if Jesus is who he claimed to be. Walking by faith is living as if what Jesus said is actually true. Walking by faith is living as if God is your personal heavenly Father. Walking by faith is living as if your sin really is forgiven and paid for by Jesus. Walking by faith is living as if you really are loved by God, not for anything you have done. Walking by faith is living with confidence that our sacrifice, commitment, and generosity are not in vain because they are anchored to someone real who is trustworthy. Walking by faith is what caused someone like Francis Collins to pay attention and pause long enough to even consider what or who they are trusting in. Walking by faith is like this is what causes other people to pause and wonder, and it's been this way from the beginning. So two points for two groups of you watching today. First, to those of you who might say, well, if I experienced what this government official experienced, then of course I would believe. I would suggest you read John's account of Jesus' life, not as the Bible, but as the account of an old man who saw and heard Jesus. Because perhaps in reading this for yourself, something will happen for you that perhaps no one can explain. Second, for those of you who have already put your, your faith and trust in Jesus, a question to consider. Does your life cause other people to pause to consider Jesus? Or better yet, are you living in a way that people might be pausing to consider Jesus, even if you don't know that they are doing that? That Jesus is also trustworthy. His followers should be as well. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this story. Thank you that John documented this and recorded it for us so that we would have it here. Because this really is the epitome of where all, we all live. We have to come to a place where we're either trusting in you and trusting in what other people say about you, or we're not. And maybe for some of us, we've sort of been in that boat where we've been willfully just ignoring it and not wanting to know what's going on. And God, would you help those of us who maybe fall in that category? And in some ways, we probably all have fallen in that category at one point or another. Would you help us to, to, to purposely look for the evidence, to look at the actual claims of Jesus and to examine them for ourselves? And then, God, would you open our eyes to see what maybe we can only see with your help? God, for the rest of us, those of us who are followers of yours, would you help us to be considering whether our life is really helping other people to pause and consider you, or if our life is somehow about ourselves or about other things or other possessions or other causes? God, would you help our lives to cause other people to pause and to think about and examine their beliefs and what they're trusting in or who they're trusting in? God, would you give us the wisdom to know what to do with what we've heard today? And God, would you give us the courage to actually do it? It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.